This week's episode is brought to you by Colt 45 and Bananas, Breakfast of Champions. Hey, what's going on? This is Tay, the former co-host of Keep It Basement with the Sweens. I see the boy Sweens done blew up without me. You are tuned in to Keep It Basement and keep it locked here. Yeah. More fire. Come on, man. I'm too Hollywood for this podcast. Yeah, I heard you tried to get bitches to the crib. That didn't work, obviously. And then your bum-ass intern, very unreliable and unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> Hip-hop culture, I feel like I'm part of the hip-hop culture, but I don't know where I stand, and I feel weird about it. He's like, you should. Like, I'm like, marginal. All right, Sweeney, I'm going to see you later. Stay black, That's not so bad. Here we have it, folks. Keep it. Keep it basement podcast. Time to make my move. Sweet taste of victory like Oprah's Bumani. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Hello? Hey, Tom, it's Francis How are you? Hey, Francis, how you doing, man? It's me and my buddy Mike. How you doing? Francis. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. How are you? Great, thank you so much for calling at this time. Appreciate it. Um. All right. Well, I guess we'll jump into it. I mean, we don't know. We're going to get into a few different things, but this is a Keep It Basement podcast. Mike Sweeney, Tom Zappia. Uh, we're joined by stand-up comedian, uh, former writer for Barstool Sports, Francis Ellis. So, Francis, thank you once again. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, for sure. Thank sure. you for having me. Of course. So, um, Mike, what do you want to what do you want to touch on first? You want me to? I, I mean, I could ask whatever. I'm ready. Yeah, I guess we could start on the most recent stuff. I mean, oh, I was just wondering, uh, why did you do why did you do stand up comedy and also work for Barstool? Like, wasn't that a lot? And wouldn't it be better to focus on comedy? Oh yeah, well, when did you start stand up? Because like we knew you from Barstool originally, and then I feel like I saw you doing a lot more stand up in the past, like I don't know, maybe a year or two, and I saw you getting you know hanging out with Schultz and like a couple other cosigns. I know you've you know you've been friends with Theo. I listened to you on this past weekend recently. So I didn't know exactly if you were doing stand up the whole time or if you started after you were at Barstool. So I was doing stand up for about 5 years before I started working in Barstool. Okay. And uh, you know, I was always that was kind of what I moved to New York for. Right. Um, and while I was doing stand-up, I was tutoring to pay, you know, the bills. Um, and then I got this, the Barcel job and I was finally able to live off comedy. Um, and I continued to do stand-up religiously the whole time that I was at Barstool. Um, and they were great about that. They, you know, knew that that was kind of my lifeblood and, that if 
they had said, you know, you have to choose one or the other. I, I unfortunately I would have had to choose stand up, but um, I'm very glad that I continued doing it because, you know, I never lost that skill and I got, a, I continued to grow and get better and better. And uh, then I found myself without a job, but I still <laughs> had been cultivating this skill. So it's, it's something that I, you know, continue to do. I do about, I don't know, eight to 10 sets a week probably. And, go on tour and headline and all that so of course um yeah okay okay wow yeah i didn't even i didn't even know all that but yeah but yes yeah, so, i mean i guess since you brought it up i guess you know you, you did get fired recently from barstool i mean i know the whole story and i completely like kind of understand it from both aspects i feel like it was uh kind of had to be a mutual thing like i don't think they really deep down you know portnoy probably wanted to fire you but he kind of had to i guess in that instance and you know, I read your I read your your tweet and your post, and I when I listened to you on Theo's uh, specifically, you know, kind of explaining it from your side, I just I completely agreed from your side. Like it was it was a rough like go of it, but um, I mean, I read that you you got to a point at Barstool or a level where you were able to uh, post directly without any uh, any insight from the editor or from the I guess the higher ups, and you were just allowed to go and post on your own. Is that true? Yeah, and that was that was the case for a lot of people. Um, you know, the, the, there were so many bloggers writing so many pieces of thing, content every day that unless we had brought in a true editing editorial staff, uh, it would be very hard to manage um, all the everything that went out and and to have oversight over all that. And I think the general understanding was if you've written something that you think is risky, uh, run it by our editor in chief, K Marco. And I would do that. Uh, I, I would often have questions and I would ask him about blogs and um, say, hey, you know, I'm not sure about this joke or do you think this is over the line? And sometimes he would say, yeah, just take that line out or fix this or, 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 you know, Hey, don't even, don't even go to that subject. Just don't write about this at all. But that, that was much more rare. Um, especially as I had been there for two and a half years. And I think it speaks to, uh, my complete oversight and, and just like brain fart that on this particular blog, I didn't even, I didn't think there was anything. I, I, I didn't even run it by him. Right. Um, and like earlier that week, I had run a blog by him and he was like, yeah, that's that's fine. So there were things that like I thought were risky and weren't. And then this was something that I based on the fact that I thought she was fine. Uh, I did. I did not think it was risky. And obviously it was horrifically bad. Right. Yeah, because I mean, I guess. I guess you know. I guess for for anyone who who listens, the backstory um, from the girl. I, I don't know her name is escaping me at this point, but she was Mackenzie Lewick. Mackenzie Lewick. That's it. And she was basically, you know, had had been missing for a little while, and then, you know, it was it was I guess established that she was frequenting some you know some sites where she may have been meeting with people online. And then, you know, I guess down the line, there was saw that there was a activity on her Instagram, even though no one knew where she was. And then later after the fact found out that she had been murdered. Um, and I think Utah it was. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was a, it's a touchy story, but I mean, again, I thought, I thought what you posted was, was honestly funny. And I, and I understood like where the jokes were and everything co-aligning it with call her daddy too. I thought that was great. But I mean, you know, in an instance like that, you thought she was okay, and you seem you couldn't seem more genuine when you said you thought she was, yeah. you know, she, you thought she was safe. You thought, you know, something was just miscommunicated, and she was around, and you know, you just went out and you posted it. So, like, I can't really blame you for that. Just in the instance that right after that, it came out that she was killed. You know, it just looks awful in that time period, in that time yeah. frame from you doing that to that. It kind, it just looks bad. So it's kind of like, you know, Barstool has no choice in that in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a lot of people have called it a perfect storm. Right. Um, I think that that is a fair categorization because, you know, my blog went up an hour after that. They had a murder suspect. And that's when I went back into the blog and like took out some of the jokes that I had written and sort of amended some of my wording because I was like, oh, now this 
doesn't look good. In in the original version, I had written jokes that were like, let's hope she does her reunion tour press conference wearing Call Her Daddy merchandise. <laughs> and I made a joke about how, like, I was like, well, let's hope she wears the Degrade Me sweatshirt. And that was a shot at Call Her Daddy. Mm-hmm, right. Um, and, and I'm envisioning her at a podium saying I'm back. I'm fine. I, this was me. Like this was, you know, based on the jokes that I made, you, you could clearly see that I, I did not think that she was in any way harmed. Um, and then I went in after they had the murder suspect and I took those jokes out and I wrote this other line about like, well, now they've they've got a suspect and it's not looking as good, but I still think she's okay. And then an hour after that, they had found her, and that's when we took the blog down, yeah. or I took the blog down, and uh, people started getting angry with me. Yeah, this is Mike here at the Swings, and uh, I was just thinking, like, I know it's a sad story and everything, but if an open mic comedian did this, like, no one would give a shit because, like, since you're on a major platform, everyone sees and hears and cares and, until the next big thing happens. You know what I mean? Like, it's like since you were on Barstool and it came out there, a huge media publication, like, everyone knew about it. But if it was, like, some guy doing a joke about it in, a, in an open mic room, no one would even know or give a shit. That's exactly right. Uh, but that is something that I knew for a long time, subconsciously. Um Having being working in comedy uh, in all these different uh, sort of disciplines, stand up, uh, writing, podcasting, video, there are different tiers uh, that you can get of stuff that you can get away with in each of those places. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get away with more in stand up than you can in video you can get away with more in video than you can in writing writing is probably the the worst the like it's the most tight handcuffed thing because people take a sentence that you've written on the internet they copy and paste it into their article and then they reframe it in their own context and nobody can hear the tone with which you wrote it Mm -hmm. nobody can see the smile on your face as you clearly wink that it's a joke. Nobody can hear the audience laughing because they've been with you up to that point. It is a cold, sterile snippet of, of words that could seem barbaric mm-hmm. standing alone. Um, and that's always, you know, but I, but I knew that. I knew that, and I also knew that Barstool is under a microscope and that you have to be more careful and i just to be honest you get a little desensitized sometimes having worked there for two and a half years to the to the fact that there are tens of thousands of people reading everything you write and, and listening it. to what you say on radio mm-hmm. because you do it every fucking day yeah you're just you're just speaking into a microphone to your buddy there were times on radio where i completely forgot that we were live yeah you know, you just get buried in the conversation or that, that anyone was reading what I wrote. And I, the sad part of that was like, sometimes people would come up to me and say, you know, Hey man, I love your work. I read everything you write. And I would always feel horrible because there were a lot of blogs that I would write where I was like, man, I'm just mailing it in and nobody's reading this. I'm just proving that I came to work today. You know, it's such a nominal effort. And I'd be like, Oh, don't, don't read everything I write. Like yeah. I write a lot of shit. Um, but that, anyway, that this blog was another case of that. It was mm-hmm. a blog I wrote that I was not proud of. I never hung my hat on it. I didn't think it was particularly funny. I was just kind of mailing it in mm-hmm. and I mailed it in on a topic that required a lot more, uh, uh, you know, Research Being in a way. Careful. Yeah. yeah, it's just like you got you got to be a lot more careful when you're when you're dancing around something like that. Yeah, and like the core audience fucks at you no matter what with barstool, but like a lot of the times the rest the rest of the population will can will do cancel culture or hate on you for that. You know. Sure. Sure. And it, yeah, I I will say yeah we had the obvious hit pieces that came out the outlets that are going to write anti barstool pieces mm-hmm. no matter what. Yeah. Exactly. And they seize upon any low-hanging fruit. Uh, I mean, those, those sites, 
what Deadspin and the Daily Beast, they they had taken screenshots of my blog, with, I think within seconds of yeah, it going up. Oh, yeah. It's almost like they just take a photograph of every single piece of content that goes up on the site and then sift through it in, you know, retroactively to find bad things. Yeah. But they had it instantly. They had every edit, every version, every iteration. And they were asking me for comment within five minutes of the, of the thing going up. So Fucked up. Uh, the, they had, you had that. And then you had like true journalistic outlets like the Washington Post, and you know, Fox News and whatnot, who were much more fair about it. But you also had, after I released my statement, the broader Internet and Twitter the overwhelming majority of people were not mad. Mm-hmm. I think they realized that I had made a very careless error. Yep. I did not have a pattern of behavior that spoke to me being some kind of monster that often wrote about these kinds of things. And um, a woman from the New York Times, a writer from the New York Times, wrote a nice tweet kind of forgiving me. The executive uh producer of Ellen DeGeneres' show wrote a long tweet saying like, you know, you've made a mistake. It's no big deal. You'll be fine. I wish you the best. And it was encouraging to me that in this day and age of cancel culture, people weren't coming for my scalp that much. Right. You know, they were able to differentiate between my mistake and more evil things of the Jeffrey Epstein's and the fucking Harvey Weinstein's of the world. So... Yeah, I was going to say, on a positive note, at least you didn't rape anyone or physically harm anyone like Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, or R. Kelly. Because when I Google your name, like, everything, all that stuff, I was trying to research your comedy and everything like that, like, you can't hide from that article. It's everywhere. And I feel like if you were a rapper, this would help your career because rappers rap about murdering people in songs and get famous off of it. Yeah. You know, it's like a different perspective now with this whole social media age. But, yeah, let's talk about, like, uh, social media, comedy, other stuff. don't want to talk about the whole Barstool stuff. It's, like, kind of so depressing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) yeah sure you seem to be co-signed by some comedians do you still get hate and shit for being a being a touring comedian such a short period of time like a lot of these old-fashioned or open mic comedians cry about it like you know like how it's supposed to take you 15 years to blow up or 20 years and like they're not they're against social media do you think you get a lot of hate for that and do you think social media helps elevate one's career and it's necessary uh it's a great question you know i think that there are Two, two schools of comedians. You have your, you know, old school, let's call them the artists who really cherish the, the heritage and the development and the paying your dues method um, of comedy here. And that's really here in New York City. Yeah. Um, and, and then you've got, you know, uh, comedians who realize that capitalizing on YouTube and social media and, you know, blowing up is, is there, there are more ways to reach a broader audience and that if you're not using those things, you're missing out. You're limiting your ability to connect with a broader audience. And we all fucking hate uh, YouTube stars that, come to comedy clubs and sell them out and then bomb horrifically because they can't perform live. Like we all think that those people are a joke, but we also don't really resent them. They're not like harming us. They're not like taking time from us. They're not taking stage time from us. I think, I think as far as where I stand, uh, you know, I was in the trenches for five years. I was an unknown comic who was mm-hmm. doing mics and and then bar shows and then feature spots and sort of working my way up. And I, I had enough notches on the belt and I took enough licks that um, when I started to skip a couple rungs on the ladder because of my barstool following, I don't think that the comedians who had been ahead of me really resented me. Mm-hmm. Um because I think they knew that I still, I was good enough, you know? Yeah. Was I good enough to be headlining and, and, and selling the Wilbur? Probably not. But I wasn't going up there and eating shit. 
Um, you know, I had enough chops. And by the time I was two years into Barstool, I was seven years into stand-up. And I was still doing eight to ten spots a week. And I was running around and, you know, doing bar shows in the Lower East Side. And, uh, you know, doing Thursdays up in Saratoga. And, and all these, like, small rooms, big rooms. I, I wasn't being picky. I wasn't entitled about it. I still had a lot of respect for the craft. And um, so I don't think anybody really bought, was bothered by that. And as long as you're just not a fucking dick. <laughs> Truth. You know, like people don't really care. Yeah. Just yeah. be a nice person uh, is the general thought in my mind. Yeah, I see you're respected by a lot of good comedians. So that's what I was asking. Because you know how obviously there's haters everywhere. And you go to like a mic room and they'll be like, oh, is that the guy from Barstool? He probably just got on because you're from Barstool. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, but I, I will tell you that the people who say that are usually the people who are awful at comedy yes, and aren't definitely. going anywhere yeah. because they suck. Yeah. The people who are good aren't mad at me for success because they're having success themselves. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I was like, uh, before Tom, hold on, Tom, let me get one. Uh, do you think it's like about taking the Schultz approach and not relying on any network and putting yourself on and focusing on your own brand per se, like doing the YouTube clips and stuff like that and the, and the podcast yourself now? I think Andrew Schultz has shown that you can be the architect of your own career mm -hmm. um, and that you can take control over your own means of production. Uh, I think what a lot of people don't realize is just how skilled he is as a comedian. Yeah. I mean, it's not just that he saw a different way to do it. It was that he saw a different way to do it and he was also a brilliant comedian. Who had been doing it for a long time and can go into any room in any place in the country and fucking destroy. Mm. So it's tough to have one without the other. You know, I could start my own YouTube channel now, follow the steps to a T that he has laid out, and not have a quarter of the success that he's had because my skill level's not there. Right. Um, Having said that, that is exactly the type of model that I intend to emulate now, and uh, I, I am very compelled by it. I consider him a mentor and a friend, and uh, I hope to <laughs> to honor him by by following what is now being called the Andrew Schultz model by everybody. Yeah, I, yeah, I, get, I give him credit. He's great. He was telling me all about it. Interviewed him a few times, and I think he actually was influenced by hip hop in the way how they were doing it themselves as well, like the Vlads, the academics, and then he did that with comedy, which is a great approach. And right. I, I remember. Um, I don't know if his name right. Anthony Cumia. Cumia. Yeah. Um, radio. I'll go to his show on Monday. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. uh, I was oh, gonna say. Compound? I was gonna say. You got to ask yeah. him about this because when he got fired from SiriusXM, he started creating content right away because he was afraid he would be forgotten and he wanted his audience to keep listening to him. So he created a show at his own home studio to get that audience. Is that something you're trying to do with your barstool following where you think they're going to come along with you? Like, are you nervous you're going to lose an audience with your comedy career? Um, it's a great question. I, I definitely was aware of that. Um, it was a tough tightrope to walk because I didn't want to be seen as capitalizing or profiting on my mistake. Uh, I wanted to be respectful and remain contrite based on you know it's like i issued that very profound yeah. apology and if the next day i had been like all right back to jokes like who wants to hear about my dick yeah <laughs> tough hole right uh people would have been like dude you're, you're full of shit yep um but you also want to make sure that your fans know you're not gonna go move into a hut in the hills and grow out a beard and fish for the rest of your life don't pull a um, chappelle <laughs> Yeah, right. So it's like I I wanted to I, I think I did it okay. I, I sort of took a, a two week hiatus where I was a, putting out a couple Instagram things and right. announced one set of shows. Um and now I am ready to, you know, really come back with a force and, and make sure and I haven't lost anybody. Uh they've stuck with me. I haven't oh, lost great. any Instagram followers. Yeah. I I've only gained Twitter followers, so um I know a lot of people were fans of me regardless of where I worked, which was great. You know, they liked my writing and they, they want to see what I do next. So I just want to make sure they know that I continue to work in this profession and to, and I'm going to start building my own things. 
Well, yeah, that's the thing. Sometimes it takes, like, in instances like when a Chappelle, not, you know, Chappelle is a, is a special case, but I'm saying sometimes it takes that instance of a firing or, like, a quitting to, like, even elevate somebody higher. Granted, you're coming from, you know, a huge platform like Barstool, but sometimes you get even more recognition when you are, you know, are not associated with them anymore, inevitably, and you just go and do your own shit. And I mean, like, someone like you, like, you were doing stand-up originally, as you said, and then I guess, I don't know how you got Barstool, but obviously the Barstool thing came along, and it was probably, you know, a help more than anything, but since you have, you know, told us you've wanted to do stand-up since the get-go, this should be no glitch in your step in general, because your whole point was to just do stand-up anyway, and have people come out and do stand-up. Granted, you got some more fans from Barstool, but I mean, it's done nothing, but it could possibly do nothing but help you having, you know, having to leave Barstool. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I came into Barstool as a stand-up comedian, but I think one of the reasons I was able to be successful there was that uh, I, would, I, be, I learned and became a good writer. Definitely. Um, and I, I had a good radio personality uh, and a good radio show, and you start to learn these different skills, and uh, you kind of become a, a jack-of-all-trades. And, and, and I... I in comedy, I think that's very valuable. Um, you definitely have your purest stand-up comedians who may see, you know, doing other things as a an obstacle or a, something that takes them away from stand-up. But, you know, if you look at, like, Aziz Ansari, here's a guy who is a brilliant stand-up comedian. He's also a brilliant sketch comedy actor. He's a great actor. He's a great writer, director, producer, mm -hmm. and he's built this multifaceted career that all these things feed each other. And um, that is something that I definitely want to continue is to is to attack comedy in, in, in all of its iterations. I love writing long form. You know, I might write a novel, a com comedic novel someday. I might write a screenplay. I might you know, be TV a radio show. host. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All of these things. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the luxury of like telling my agent, dude, don't submit me for TV shows. I'm right. above that. I'm a stand up comedian. Yeah. You know, I, I need, I need to get paid. I need, I need to find any way to make it. So, sure. you know, I'm happy to be uh, tangentially in comedy, however that may be. Lil Dicky told me the same thing, actually, when I interviewed him, and he became great with rap, like Save That Money, doing those creative videos. He said that this process to stand-up would have took too long, so he just went to hip-hop and rap, and now he's doing TV shows with Kevin Hart. He's doing hip-hop. He's doing everything, and he's a creative guy, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, Lil, he's, he's being very, uh, I think he's simplifying that a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's, it took too long to to make it in stand-up, so I just went the easy route of yeah, becoming yeah. an extremely famous satirical rapper. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's, you could say that, like, you know, you, I might say, like, I wanted to be a rapper, but I thought it too, took too long, so I went to comedy instead. Uh, I think it's just as hard to, be, to do and achieve what he has done as it is to become a famous comedian. Um, yeah. Once again, it all comes down to skill, and he is... Uh, exceptionally talented at what he does. He said he so, was dog shit in the beginning, but he got better over time like anything. But, yeah. I heard uh, my buddy Donnie at, at Barstool Shout out Donnie. told a story once about uh, how he knew him or his buddy knew him in, in uh, right after college. Yeah. Um, he was working out in, uh, in, in San Francisco. Yep, that's true. And there were like four of these dudes that were living in an apartment together. And I guess like, they all had shitty jobs that they hated. And uh, what is little Dickie's real name? Uh, David Bird, I believe. Yeah, Dave. He like decided that he wanted to be a rapper. Yeah. And would like goof around with it at first. And for months, these guys would, you know, they'd go out on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. They'd ask him to come out with them. And, and he would just be like, nah, you know, I'm, I'm going to write lyrics yep. and he would just hole up in his bedroom and record songs yeah. and nobody heard it he wouldn't play it for anyone because he didn't think it was good yep and like six months after this he emerged from his den and finally was like hey <laughs> do you guys want to hear what i've been working on and they're like sure 
and he played it, and it just blew everyone's fucking minds. Yeah, I believe that actually, because I interviewed him early on the come up, and in he, over time he got really good at it and great. And uh, I was it's just cool to you know, interview him and talk about all that. He told that story similar to that, so I believe that. Yeah. So you know, I think that there's really no secret recipe to success. It's just that you have to put in your ten thousand hours. And that's kind of the way to do it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it's interesting because he wanted to be a comedian, and he—it's like his rap is comedy. It's like, where do you go about it? It's like he's not doing stand-up comedy, but he is doing comedy within video format. So he just wanted the exposure, and he had the talent. So I guess all the variables work for him. Yeah, but you know, he's an amazing—he's an amazing talent to me because he is exceptionally funny, and I think mm-hmm. the humor really comes out with the music videos. Yeah, and his live shows. Yeah, when he illustrates uh, the the lyrics on his face and with his interactions with people and all that, he's very expressive. Um, but he also is able to go on, you know, these radio shows and deliver like these little freestyle yeah. ciphers or whatever. Shout out Sway. And you're like, that's the best rap thing I've ever fucking heard in my life. Yeah. He says um, they're not really freestyles. Well, no one really freestyles anymore, but he plans the rap, but still a good rap, you know? Yeah, yeah. There, I guess the cipher is the term, right? Yeah, yeah like I a, don't know. They say freestyle. Yeah, you can just put it over any beat. Um, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. I think he, he's very well respected uh, among rappers. For sure. Not at first, though. It takes time, just like anything, just like comedy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, basing back to, I guess, originally, because you're you're a Harvard guy. So, like, when you got to New York. Did you have any since since you know you said you you know you went to New York and you got in the trenches or anything? Were you leaving Harvard thinking like I got to go to New York or LA or did you want to did you start anything back back where you were from? You know, I started. Uh, I did a couple stand up shows when I was a senior in college uh, in Boston. Um, I organized one myself. I'd ne- that was the first one I ever did, and a bunch of my friends came and nice. just at a bar, and I, I went up and started telling jokes. Uh, they were fucking horrible. Um, I even, I mean, they were just, I, thinking back, I was just like, oh my God, how could I possibly have thought that was funny? Um, and then uh, a few months after that, I, I did a spot at the comedy studio, um, which was, or it was the Comedy Connection, maybe. I don't know. The one above the Hong Kong restaurant in Cambridge is very well known. And then after that, I thought, I, I love this. I just, absolutely love this when i was a kid i used to listen to you know full albums on napster i remember that i I wasn't really listening to music i was listening to you know downloading illegally eddie murphy and (laughs) lewis black and and, uh all these guys and um i just that's what i loved listening to and without knowing it i was cultivating a real love for stand-up and um I also loved performing. I did plays in high school and some in college. And I didn't really have a job. I didn't work that hard to find a job after college. So I just said, I'm going to move to New York and see if I can figure it out in comedy. And uh, got here, uh, started tutoring pretty quickly, um, and started taking improv classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade and doing tons of open mics. You know, did that for about a year, got really sick of it, didn't think I was going anywhere, thought I sucked, hated the open mic scene, decided I should probably go to law school, and then I'd given it a fair shake, Uh, got into law school, went to law school for four days, hated that, withdrew, doubled down on the tutoring, started my own tutoring business. And then kind of had a more measured approach to comedy where it was like, okay, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, Let's just keep doing, you know, four to five to eight spots a week if you can. Yes. And gradually you get better and your spots get better. You start going on better shows, better audiences, more people, better rooms. Um, And then I think it was three years of that. And that's when I saw the Barstool Idol application and applied to that and uh, got it and and that's where i ended up 
Wow, I didn't even know. That's a good, that's a very good story. That's a cool come up. Yeah, own tutoring business, and you went to law school for four days. I wonder how many people have done that. Um, <laughs> oh wow, that's crazy. I mean, you've probably gotten this. So, so there was just a bar stool application. Like you've probably gotten this before, but do you think it was easier to get into, uh, especially in its earlier days, a platform or a company like Barstool because of because of your Harvard connection? No, uh, I don't. I I, I think that. Basically, I graduated from Harvard and then took my degree and just shit on it. <laughs> um, I went Sounds and decided rough. to do the one career where no, there was no, I had no connections. I had no ability to leverage any influence. Nobody gave a shit that I had gone to Harvard. Nobody cared what my resume looked like or my GPA was or what my uh, major was what I had done academically and everything in my life up to that point was so irrelevant to what I was going into Hell yeah. that I was starting completely from scratch. Um, you know, crazy. I couldn't get my dad to call in a favor with a friend to get me a, you know, on a stage because we were from Maine and it was like, nobody knew anybody. <laughs> so you know, I started, I started at the bottom mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, but I will say, I will say that what Harvard did help me do is instead of having to be a bartender while right. I pursued all this shit, uh, I was able to tutor right. and I was able to charge a much higher rate and really make a very solid living sure. tutoring while I did, uh, stand up. So my life as an early comedian was not that miserable. Well, yeah. Who doesn't you know want their saying? kid getting tutored by a Harvard grad? Yeah. I was able to like carve out a great niche of like, you know, seventh and eighth grade boys that I did test prep for who were like, Whoa, you know, I can't believe my tutor is a Harvard lacrosse bro. <laughs> um, bro. And so we, able, you know, that was like a, I, I know that parents that referred me, to other families that was like the first thing they would say right um and that was pretty unique everybody else was like you know actors and kind of whatever losers what <laughs> what i got out of this was you said you had some type of strategy where it started clicking where you, you knew it wasn't going to happen overnight uh we have a lot of people like up-and-coming comedians who listen do you have advice for the up-and-coming creators whether it be blogging or in media or comedy like that can help them like some type of formula that worked for you or what you see that works yeah, I think, um, I guess uh, from a comedian's perspective, and this might apply to writers too, the, the most important thing for me was to continue living and having experiences and, and seeking experiences. Because if you just sit in your little study or at your kitchen table and try to write jokes all day, um, you're, you're not really going to have much to come up with. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, unless you're Jerry Seinfeld who can look at a can of toothpaste and have 15 minutes about it. <laughs> um, but like for the most part, I find like, you know, I've been a little bit starved for standup material. Uh, and I was having a hard time after that. my special when I dumped everything coming up with new stuff. And then I got fired and went on this lavish vacation that with my girlfriend that I had France. planned to France <laughs> and came back. And all of a sudden I've got 25 new minutes of material that I'm super excited about. Yeah. And it takes you know, life events and experiences to, to inform you and to give you the ammunition you need uh, to, to create. Um, so that that would be what I would say is go fucking live, you know, and then you'll paint with that. Definitely, definitely. I feel that. It's funny you brought up Seinfeld because I was thinking about Seinfeld because he's always creating bits in his life no matter what he was saying to, to comedians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Legend. yeah. He is able to, he's the master of, uh, of banality. Yeah. Of just, you know, whatever, so. Got a couple more questions. I want to keep you all day, but you seem like a well-educated guy. Well, you are smart. Uh, do you get depressed easily? Because I was listening to Joe Rogan podcast and he was talking about how intelligent people can sometimes feel more anxious or depressed because they have to deal with idiots all day or overthink so much. And since like <laughs> what happened to you is a stressful situation, I feel like did it make you feel some type of way after that? Uh, 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I don't think it's any secret that I have struggled with uh, mental health and, and depression. I've written about it at Barstool. Um, Welcome to the club. I, yeah, right. Uh, I would say that um, I don't know that it's necessarily a product of being intelligent or, you know, looking down on people who are less intelligent that makes me sad. Right. <laughs> um, I think... For me, uh, what was the last part of your question again? It was just like about being depressed and anxious um, because you're overthinking a lot of times or you're like, people are yeah, like stupid. That's you know? true. Yeah, that's the overthinking true. is definitely I, a comedian I related. Yeah, I overthink everything. And I think um, being a comedian, you, you start to frame the world in a more cynical lens. And um, because it's it's funnier to see normal things and think like what's wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and when you start really seeing everything that way, it can affect you uh, because it makes it hard to see the joy and the, the happiness and the beauty of the things around you. Um, you know, uh, for example, like I have this incredibly wonderful girlfriend whom I adore, but like if I go up on stage and I'm like, yep, I've got a perfect relationship and she's great. And boy, is it fun when she, you know, d puts the dishes away. Like nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> it, I have to find ways to like make fun of her without offending her or like insulting her or being so vicious that people are like, ah, oh, you're a monster. <laughs> Um, even though we have, you know, we have a great relationship. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's funny. And yeah. then some people can't always take the jokes, you know, people in your family or friends, you know, they're not built like that, but you know, it is what it is. Totally. Totally. I, I made a joke on radio, um, once about how I, I, my sister is two years older than me mm -hmm. and I didn't like going to parties with her friends anymore because they're all old and pregnant and I don't have anything to say. Like I made some joke about how, you know, pregnant being around pregnant people just makes me realize how much I'm drinking. <laughs> and, uh, someone, one of her friends heard it and then sent it to like a group chat that all of them were in and they got, my sister got so mad at me. It's funny. Really? Uh, it's relatable because, though. Yeah, well, not because like, uh, not because um, I was being particularly mean, but because one of her friends at the party had been pregnant, <laughs> and it was just it felt like it was directed at this pregnant friend of hers, <laughs> and you're not really supposed to go after pregnant people. Yeah, I got you. Um, oh yeah, I forgot to give them a pillow. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> to mention this. Some someone was hating you in the comments. I was looking at your Instagram, and instead of like fighting back with them, you're like, you're like, live your dreams, man. I thought it was great. <laughs> like you, like because uh, someone was like, this guy does comedy, and you're like, yeah, man. I I've, I chose to live my dreams. You should do the same. <laughs> and it was like the greatest comeback. I thought. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but it was like in your comments. I, I, I think I do. Yeah, I mean, I knew what he was saying, but uh, you know. I look working at Barstool. Unfortunately, the, the audience uh, can be quite, quite vicious. Oh, yeah. um, I don't, I don't think that's any secret. I think it's, it's a, a, a subset subsection of the internet that is incredibly involved um, with the brand. They're very responsive. Uh, they're very, it's like a, you know, it's like a choose your own adventure book. And, um, so, you know, when you, you see everything they say to you, you know, the, the comments, all the tweets, all the, you know, you, you, you try to hold yourself back from, from scrolling through your own Instagram comments, but usually like the top one or two you'll see. And um, I, I had this idea, I had this realization of uh, if you, uh, at first for a long time, I would, I would get angry. Yeah. And I would respond and be like, you know, fuck you, you loser, your life sucks, whatever, yeah. all the normal shit. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what they're hoping you'll say. It gives them power. Yeah. It does. It makes them realize that they got under your skin. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to just block them outright, which, you know, 
some people uh, in our at our staff we thought some guys thought it was like that would give them a badge of honor that you know that you blo- had to block them but That's true. whatever um Another way would be to just mute them, and then they have no idea that you can't see them anymore. It's hear no evil, see no evil. One thing I started doing was I started responding every so often to these trolls with positivity. I love it. And, I fucking love it. Yeah, and what I would do is I, it was like I was holding up a mirror uh, to them and saying, you know, hey, uh, there's nothing wrong here. There's no reason to be mad. Life is good. I wish you all the best. And when they, when, when you would respond, if someone was like, Francis, you suck. You're not funny. Uh, I hate you. I wish you didn't. I, I can't wait till they fire you. And I came back with like, all good, brother. Appreciate you anyway. You know, be well. I'm telling you, 99.9% of the time, that person you just you just deflate them like they they would then respond by being like you know what man uh i woke up on the wrong side of bed this morning you're you're i'm actually a huge fan of your content like appreciate the note be well and you have now <laughs> great taken a hater and turned them into a fan law of 10 baby and you've also you've also made them maybe a slightly happier Hopefully less bitter person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because how can you, you know, you respond to hate with love. It's an old age old saying, all that stuff. And, and it just, it just makes everyone realize, you know, even though we're talking to people on the internet, they're still fucking people. Yeah. We're still having a conversation and there's no reason to be an absolute dick. Minus you know, the porn bots. Doing our best Everyone's here, real. So. Minus the porn bots. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> So, I don't know. That's that's something I enjoy. I yeah. like turning people's uh, attitudes around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, all right, yeah, I mean, all right. Um, I don't want to keep you all I don't want to keep you all night obviously, but Wait, wait, well, wait I haven't wait. asked you guys any questions and I'm sorry about No, that's that. fine. Oh, no, yeah, if you want to ask I was going to say, do the people that I oh, hold up. <laughs> Hang let on. Me, let me fix my uh, phone. <laughs> like it's a phone. Sounds like you guys are in a hotel. That's like a wake-up call type. Phone. I was gonna ask. To a hotel. <laughs> My bad. I was gonna ask. Do the people at Barstool know the social media influence they have? Like, call her daddy. Like, they could be like, "Okay, guys, fuck a guy tonight," <laughs> and like everyone run and go do it. Yeah, I think people are aware of uh, of it. I mean, you know, it's definitely like orders of magnitude. Like the the call her daddy girls are absolutely enormous. Mm-hmm. Uh. You know, they've got their main account almost has a million followers. Yeah. Uh, they each have like hundreds of thousands. So that's that's definitely way bigger than than me. Um, but, you know, it, it, it is it is influence. Uh, amazingly, it's like all I was in Chicago doing shows at the Laugh Factory one weekend and I was with my girlfriend and I wanted to go to the Cubs game on Saturday. So I just took a shot in the dark and tweeted out like, hey, you know trying to go to the Cubs today. If anyone has some tickets, they're, they're trying to sell. And I had like 15 responses within five minutes from people being like, dude, you can just have my tickets today. And we ended up 10th row behind home plate. That's Damn. sick. That's and it was like, power. it's awesome, man. Yeah. It is awesome. <laughs> I never would have thought that that like those little byproducts are a, a, a very good uh, way to balance out all the hate you have to take. It's like, oh, definitely, yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Do you, did you? I guess you understood the power that comes with it. Do you feel less powerful now, or is it like now it's time to shine and create my own content and own brand in a way? Um, it's interesting. As I said, I, I I didn't lose a single follower when I first got fired. I lost like four hundred followers on Instagram, and I thought it, I thought I was going to lose. 30,000. Um, and then I immediately climbed way back and passed it. Probably because of your apology. It was, well, it was sincere. I think, yeah, I think, and I think people were curious to see, a lot of people were drawn to the story because they didn't know who I was beforehand. Exactly. And they were like, I wonder what this guy's going to do next. And um, now I'm, I'm sort of like winnowing down to my own 
fan base. So I'll continue to lose some barstool followers mm-hmm. who are realizing that, you know, I'm no longer going to post photos of me and big cat doing goofy <laughs> shit together. Yeah. Um, but I'm also going to gain followers who had no idea that I ever worked for barstool. Exactly. And I think that is a more powerful audience is like when you can really curate your own following for sure. Those are the people who are going to come out to my shows who are going to subscribe to my podcast and uh, who are not following me because you know, what they think I'm connected to. Yeah. Barstool was a good starter boost, kind of like Schultz with Billion Idiots and Charlemagne, and then like you kind of develop your own fans as well along that process. That's what I realized. Like I could be an open mic comedian for twenty years; it will never work out. But if I get a little bit of exposure through social media and then work with that and get my own fan base, I think that's how you win. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you know, I will always be eternally grateful to Barstool for for what it did for me and and to be a, a major launching pad. And, I'm hoping that I can build off of uh, what they've done for me, but um, you know, I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward, oh, and yeah. uh, I'm excited. I've got some big things planned. So that's great. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Uh, you said you wanted to ask us some stuff. I don't want to keep you all night. I don't know if you got spots or anything. Well, well but... tell me a little bit about like your your podcast. What do you guys <laughs> What do you guys do? And yeah, we kind of just like I just we, like, we just, we just threw we, an email at him. He's like, <laughs> you're probably like, who the fuck are these guys? Keep it basement. It's kind of just like we interview uh, whether it be headlining comedians, local comedians, literally everybody within hip hop. Like I've interviewed. Like from the come up, I've interviewed Lil Dicky, like when he started, Charlemagne, uh, Schultz, um, Angela Yee, just like a bunch of people in hip hop and entertainment and por- porn stars. Like I'm learning all the whole process, like the formula as well. Cause like when I did porn interviews, they blew up on YouTube and then it helped me gain like an audience, but I'm not like huge. And then I just interview people that I'm um, interested in and passion, like passion for comedy, hip hop, and entertainment. And we just do like a weekly podcast, YouTube page, and uh, other things as well. Like we interviewed Schultz at the Stress Factory Comedy Club a couple times before, and he's always cool and and mad humble. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just like a bunch of people. We interview women and ask sex questions, and we're just like a t- like a taste of everything. But it's kind of like an underground comedy type network in a way. And uh-huh. uh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, cool. like, we're mostly. I mean, it, it comes off as a podcast, but we try to do a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. I mean, you'd notice. You could notice from the the YouTube and Instagram, just like you know interviews podcasts sketches whatever but i mean yeah it's mostly it's mostly comedy driven but you know we get into some other stuff entrepreneurial stuff hip-hop sex but um but yeah i mean we knew we knew there was a a controversy behind you and stuff but like we knew you as a stand-up and we just like love interviewing comedians it always goes well i mean we've had like schultz like someone like schultz we've had super humble people on and it's just like you know it's just a good time we just fucking fuck around i knew you from barstool but then i knew you because i think schultz mentioned something or you were on his thing and then i got i learned more about it but yeah i have a radio background and like produce shows and stuff so i was realizing like radio is dying i know you do some stuff with sirius xm it's different but like the regular radio I, it was like going downhill and i realized more than ever you have to build your own platform and brand like from the academics is the schultz the, Sh- the charlemagne's and i like interviewing people about that and like the rogan's it's all interesting mm-hmm. to me yeah so like mike took his radio background and then i met him and i have a stand-up background and then we kind of just like met up and started doing it yeah we got some yeah, people on the dude. team too that's awesome i love that combination yeah man yeah, good oh. stuff, fellas. Well, yeah, uh, we got to promote your ahead. show too. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to get you out of here, but let's just promote. I know you're. Wait, at, wait. Before what? we promote, I got one question. I don't know, not oh. to offend anyone, but as a comedian, don't you think the guys we fucked podcast was like the original Caller Daddy in a way? Um, it's uh, it's a good question because those uh, are comedians. And I know you fuck with comedians, and you're probably like, ah, I used to work with these two girls, but wait, these two comedians are dope, and they kind of were doing the original shit, but somehow the fucking Caller Daddy shit blew up real big. Look. I know Christina and Corinne pretty well. Yeah, I interviewed um, her. She's cool. And they're they're both phenomenal, phenomenally funny, oh, yeah. incredible women. Um, they, I guess you could say, yeah, that they had the original sex positive, uh, pro feminine podcast. Yeah. Um, but I also think that what they do and what they talk about is very different from what call her daddy talks about and that's very different from yeah. uh the guys the girls gotta eat podcast which that's blown up two too, other man. women Shout who are also phenomenally funny um i know them very well ashley Hesseltine and i actually are gonna produce a monthly show at the stand here in new york oh hell yeah new um, stand just opened up baby 
Yeah, it's beautiful. Gorgeous, you gotta, yeah. You got to come check it out. Hell yeah. Um, so we're going to do a monthly called Stay Humble Show. Um, oh, nice. Which is, uh, it'll be the first Thursday of every month. Um, come check, check that out. out. August 1st, that's our first one. Oh, but, um, you know, look, the the question is like, are, are is there room for more than one of Definitely. these types of podcasts? And, and the answer is obviously Definitely. yes. Um people can, you know, people can talk, you, you could have 15 podcasts about movies that come out and fans will just find which voice or delivery they, they gravitate towards. Exactly. Um, I don't think that just because Corinne and Christina did a sex positive podcast that uh, the call her daddy girls derived or stole the idea from them. Um I think dating is a broad topic and there's no reason that, you know, other people can't get involved in the same way that like people sometimes will be like, cause I put keyboard in my act and, and do oh, some yeah. music and they'll be like, dude, you're, you're trying to be Bo Burnham, you're, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I fucking am. I'm He's also an influence, trying to be then. Stephen Lynch and I'm trying to be, uh, you know, Tim Minchin and every other incredible musical comedian who ever influenced me. Like why, why is that a crime? I aspire to be people. If I'm stealing their lyrics, that's a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if I'm writing my own music and doing it my own delivery and finding my way, like, you know, who, who says more than one comic can't have a piano on stage? That's crazy. Definitely. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and then you were asking about questions. So it's just last thing. I want to know what you think. I know you don't know us well at all, but we're not huge or anything. What do you think we could do to be better? Because I know talent's important, but at the same time, it seems like exposure is just as important. But obviously, you need to be good at what you do. But what do you think, like any advice you have for us or keys to success for the listeners out there? Yeah, I think, um, you know, consistency in podcasting is, is the biggest key. Um, making sure you really hit it. Uh, every week and you don't miss an episode um if you wanted to add a second episode just to get more out there maybe that's something um you know developing segments new new ways and Mm -hmm. and, uh and having important guests absolutely that's all that's all big but you know i think the other things are uh if you added a a video component of your podcast Mm -hmm. and you clipped the best parts of each episode and put it up on a YouTube channel and try to grow that. It's like, you know, you got to put a lot of different lines in the water and, and find out what, what, what gets bites. And, uh, and then once you've figured that out, you know, follow up on those leads. Um, you can look back through your other, your older episodes and see which ones had the most downloads Definitely. and say like, what was different about that? Um, why, how can we try to recreate that? And most um, importantly, don't let it take away from your standup career that's right bingo bingo are you still doing uh mike is it you who does stand up no uh, tom does tom I'm, I'm getting into other, it i do i do interviews more or less like interview porn stars or like the normans the schultz stuff like that just to like learn about it and get involved got it okay yeah, cool yeah. yeah yeah exactly so yeah just you know consistency all that stuff that's that's the biggest key i think Definitely. Yeah. All right. We don't want to keep you all night. I do want to plug your show come up, especially because it's locally. We're based in New Jersey. Uh, Francis will be at Bananas in Hasbrook Heights, August 2nd and 3rd. Definitely go check that out. Obviously, uh, Stay Humble, you just mentioned at the stand, uh, first Thursday of every month. August 1st is the first one. And Francis, anything else you have? We really, really appreciate you coming on. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Is it- you guys. Um, I will be starting launching my new podcast next week, oh, I yes. believe. Oh, nice. Uh, it's called Whoops. Um, and it's about uh, be- big- the biggest fuck-ups that people have had in their lives and, and huge mistakes. So, <laughs> Love the very theme. Apropos. <laughs> very apropos. Very nice. That's funny. Yeah. So check that out. That'll be on iTunes and everywhere else. Yeah, and I think you're it's you're in a little hole right now, but you're doing great because I feel like you just got fired, but like usually to keep a fan base, you got to keep putting content out pretty quickly. But like you said, yeah. you had to take that two-week break because... If you you would look like an asshole because you had a great apology, and the next day you're going to put out a joke about something like really wild, you would look like unauthentic in a way, you know? Totally. totally. So like you're doing the right thing, you got to keep doing with the content over time. But yeah, and I oh yeah, last question: Is it passion over profit for you? Like, what's more important, the profit or the passion of doing something? Um, I think for me, given that I am in comedy now, uh, it's all passion, and uh. I don't have the luxury of being that selective about, you know, passion projects within comedy right now. 
Um, gotcha. But, you know, hopefully I'll amass enough money that I can start to be a little bit more selective about what I do next or, you know, whatever it may be. But for me, it, the life choice to commit to com- comedy and to really make a living in this was the big passion over project because, you know, I could be a lawyer or a banker at this point and uh, making a lot more money than I do. And I <laughs> chose this route and I'm just making it work. So and you're happy. All right. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, Francis. Thank that's you it, so man. much. We want, to, we want to take you. Thank you so much for coming on. Dude, really appreciate it. Hopefully we'll hey, see you down the line. Thank you guys so much for having me. Good luck. And uh, I'll see you in New Jersey in a couple weeks. Hell yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll come to the show. Yeah, we'll I'm going to promote the show hardcore on story on Instagram. Awesome. Appreciate Sounds it, man. Good. Thanks, right, cool. fellas. Thanks so care. much. Uh, all right. Yep, Thank you. Uh, my friend has helped organize a great charity event for a great cause. Shout out to Red 3 and Jen. Uh, summer charity wrestling match, Hillsborough High School Athletic Field, July 25th, 7 p.m. Tickets are $5. Kids 10 and under are free. Ticket proceeds benefit the DTL Memorial Fund. Come out and support the Somerville and Hillsborough wrestling programs as they participate in their first annual charity match. The Daniel T. List Memorial Fund provides support to cancer patients and their families by helping to pay for medical expenses, family needs, and special experiences. Danny was a Somerset County champion and most outstanding wrestler during his high school wrestling career. In May 2010, he was diagnosed with Ewingston sarcoma, a rare form of bone cancer. He passed away in August 2010 at the age of 22. The DTL Memorial Fund works to continue his legacy. Uh, follow them on Twitter and reach out at DTL Memorial Fund. I know a lot of listeners might not be close to this event, but you could still support a good cause and charity organization just by uh, going to their page, checking what they have to do, uh, checking out the local charities going on, uh, the DTL Memorial Fund. Look them up on social media. It's a great thing. Thank you. Keep it basement. Uh, yeah, I just want to thank Francis Ellis for coming on the podcast. Um, that's another episode. Um, shout out to Fleshlight. We got more coming with them. YouTube.com slash Keep It Basement. Um, you know, at the Swains, not Alex Nicholas, Tom Zappia. Uh, thank you. Keep It Basement. We're out. Play yourself. Don't ever play yourself. Don't ever play yourself. Don't ever play yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Out and I go, uh, obviously you don't know who the Sweens is, okay? A fucking world-renowned hip-hop and radio producer and host, radio host, who's done interviews with countless superstars and is a fucking multifaceted talent. So the fucking best thing you could fucking do is have him be a sponsorship for your fucking shitbag CBD oil, because the kid's a fucking legend in the game, okay? He's the fucking greatest interview you will ever see. Howard Stern, Charlemagne, Larry King, ain't shit on Mike Sweeney, okay? So you're gonna want to fucking have our business, motherfucker. Sincerely, the Sweeney's. Get yourself shot. Yo, keep it basement. Keep it basement, back at it, baby, with the bang bangers. Nigga, shut your ass up, man. I don't give a fuck, man. You are listening to Keep It in the Basement, like most Italians. If you're not Italian, keep it there anyway. Well, that's cool, because you're a fan. I'm a fan, too. You know what I'm saying? And I think, to me, fans make the best interviews. You know what I mean? Like, because... Because we're asking the questions from a fan perspective. When you're a true fan and you follow the artist and you study your artist and you know an artist's music, you know an artist's background, you know the questions, the right questions to ask because you're asking questions from a fan perspective. And not only that, the reason you said that you're able to talk to uh, your favorite artist for an hour, it's not that you're able to talk to them for an hour. It's you're able to listen to them for an hour. It's a yeah. difference. See, a lot of interviewers don't listen. See, I'm a listener. I like, yeah. like a lot of interviewers that have 20 questions, and all they want to do is get through those 20 questions. But the yeah. truth about it is, if you ask me a question, if I ask an artist a question, and an artist answers me, if I'm listening, I'm probably going to get something else out of his answer that I want to ask him. And that's what a conversation is all about. Hello? Hello, Sipes? Yeah, Sipes, what's up? Hey, what's going on? This is Mike Sweeney. Sweeney. What's up, dude? Mike Sweeney, the idiot. Got it. What, keep it what radio? Basement. Keep it basement? Like, keep it, like, keep it in the house. Keep it yeah. basement radio? Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, hey, what's going on? It's your boy, Lil Dicky. Shout out Mike Sweeney, Swain, and Keep It Basement Radio. What's up, guys? This is Mickey Gall. You're listening to Keep It Basement. Keep it basement. Making money.
Awesome. We welcome the newest sponsor of the podcast, Fleshlight. Fleshlight is the number one male sex toy in the world with its soft, real feel insert patented to be so lifelike that many have proclaimed it feels better than the real thing. While there is no substitute for a real woman, amazing inner textures in over 100 possible combinations to choose from, we all have to work a little harder to keep up. Fleshlights offer an adjustable cap to control the desired suction level you prefer, as well as a channeled sleeve. Able to stretch in order to accommodate the repeated discomfort of your girth. Easy to clean and durable, Fleshlight is your number one choice brand for male sex toys. Fleshlight also offers flesh skins, sleeves, anal toys, and accessories, including lube, mounts, cases, sleeve warmers, vibrators, and more. For more information, search Fleshlight on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or visit www.fleshlight.com. This is the Keep It Basin Podcast. Follow us on YouTube, subscribe to us also on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes Music, Laughable, and wherever else you could listen to us and view us. Thank you for tuning in. Yo, this is Sean Kelly. You're listening to... Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you staring at me? I'm not. You're literally staring. Yo, this is Sean Kelly, founder of Jersey Chips. <laughs> Sam. I'm not looking at you. What the fuck are you talking about, man? Yo, this is Sean Kelly, founder of Jersey Champs, and you're listening to Keep It Basement. Check out Dankstop.com. We have the biggest selection of bongs, vaporizers, accessories, anything that you're looking for in the smoking industry. Use promo code BEAWESOME. That's B-E. Awesome, A-W-E-S-O-M-E. Uh, one word, put it together, no spaces. That's for 15% off. Check us out. Uh, stay tuned for a giveaway that we're doing with Keep It Basement. Shout out Keep It Basement. You guys were awesome. And hopefully we speak again soon. Thank you, Louie. Shout out to Dankstop. Keep It Basement podcast Keep description. Basement. Find Keep It Basement with the Sweens wherever you get your podcast with host Tom Zappia and Alex Nicholas. Please make that a permanent drop in every episode. I scold them myself. Keep It Basement podcast. We out. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Stealth Mode Motorsports. Stealth Mode Motorsports. It's a fucking read-through. What am I supposed to be? Act interested. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Stealth Mode Motorsports. Yeah. Stealth Mode Motorsports serves worldwide motorcycle enthusiasts, racers, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and custom builders with the highest quality. Quality OEM parts for Honda, Yamaha, Suzuki, Kawasaki, and Ducati. Super sport motorcycle models. We buy and sell used motorcycles as well. Based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, StealthModeBikes.com. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Stealth Mode Motorsports. Need an engine for a car? We supply engines to race teams all over the world. Lay your bike down and don't want to pay dealer pricing? Contact us for a fraction of dealer prices. Specializing in Yamaha R1 and R6, GSXR 650,000, ZX6R, ZX10R, and CBR1000 RR late model years. All current inventory can be found on our eBay store at ebay.com slash str slash stealth mode motorsports. Check them out. What do you want to do? You want to go to the Shipbag Comedy Show and then maybe try to roll through stress? Guys, follow your dreams and listen to Keep It Basement. Rate, subscribe. Thanks, guys. Peace. Just masturbate if all else fails. Peace. California. You don't like it? Fuck it. You get on a plane, fly home. That's it. Take a chance. Four minutes at the the comedy club in New Brunswick. Four minutes. Might turn into a a spot on a Jimmy Kimball Tonight Show. You never know. You got to try it. You just can't stay on a safe route because then you're going to end up being kind of bitter when you get older. That you didn't take no chances. That's it. That's my few on things.